0: Please stand for the reading of God's Word. We will be reading in Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 26, which you can find on page 4 in your pew Bible. Genesis 4, verses 17 to 26. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city... He called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methujael, and Methujael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nemah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, just a few things before we get started. Uh, one thing is we are, uh, if you've noticed last few weeks, having a few projector issues that they are on their last leg. It's some technical problems. So if they go out in the middle, it's no big deal. For like 2,000 years, the church was able to worship without projectors. It's an amazing thing, uh, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll be able to make it through that somehow. We are working on getting those replaced. It will take a while. It is, again, uh, actually, it sounds simple, but it's actually a rather complicated process, and, uh, and so we will be working on that. And uh, uh, so this morning... Uh, we're, we're in, and this, actually for a couple of weeks, in a series called For the City, talking about our theme for this year. And our theme for this year is For the City, and that is that we see our mission as a church, that God has placed us in Colorado Springs for Colorado Springs. And so we're going to be talking about that later on uh, in February. We'll get to the book of 1 Corinthians. And it also will relate to that theme, but right now I want to make sure we understand who we are and what our mission is. Now, when you think about Colorado Springs, uh, it's an interesting place. Uh, you know, This week, I was traveling and uh, met someone, and they realized I was from Colorado, and they ask, you know what question they're gonna ask. As soon as people find out you're from Colorado, somewhere in there, they're gonna ask the question, and depending on their perspective on the issue is, tell me about marijuana. You know, Tell me about marijuana. You know, and if they don't know who I am and what I do, they go, is it good? Uh, and uh, if they do know who I am, like at the meeting I was at this week, they're saying, yeah, how does it affect your church and your community? And so we have a reputation throughout the country as, if you want to get high, come to Colorado. And when they find out I'm from Colorado Springs, again, I get mixed reactions. If they are uh, you know, Christians and people from a conservative background, they say, Oh, that must be great. All those Christians in one place. Uh, you know, wow, is it like the new Jerusalem? And, uh, and if they're not from that uh, perspective, they're going, oh, what is it like with all those right-wing fundamentalists? You know? And so you get both perspectives. And, and yet we know that we live in a complicated city. We live in a place that is uh, it is not easy to peg you know on, on the one hand, uh, we have uh, the shadow of Pike 's Peak right there. We have these beautiful parks, and as you go through the parks, you spell the aroma of Colorado, uh, a new scent that is part of our, our city. We have a phenomenal growth going on, great economic expansion, and yet as you go along Monument Creek, there are campsites throughout of the homeless we. I uh, have a, uh, a home to Compassion International, Navigators focus on the family, and a whole bunch of other uh, wonderful ministries in our city. And yet, at the same time, per capita, we are more unchurched than the nation as a whole, more unchurched than Colorado as a whole, more unchurched than Denver. We are not the Christian mecca everybody thinks that we are, even though we are home to these very various ministries. And so, people ask, is Colorado beautiful? Is Colorado Springs beautiful? Yes, it is. Is Colorado Springs messed up? Yes, it is. Both things are true, and, uh, and we understand that, those of us who live here. There's things that we love about this city, and yet we see its brokenness uh, just as well. And so if we're going to be a church and a people who are for the city, we need to see our city. And our world as it truly is. And so, in the words of John Calvin, we need to put on the spectacle of scriptures. And I I love that analogy because when I turned 40, I had to get glasses and contact lenses, and all of a sudden, to see the world clearly, it makes a difference. I cannot read without them. And so, you know, you need the spectacles to see the world as it truly is. And so, the scriptures give us the lens through which to see the world. And the lens that through which we see the world actually can be summarized in four words. And we're going to talk about the first three of these today, but four words. One is creation. Creation is the lens through which we see the world, and the creation tells us how the world ought to be. It tells us how God created it, and it was all very good. The second uh, lens is the fall. And the fall shows us the world in its brokenness. It tells us about the world As it is, and we live in a fallen, broken world. Uh, Thirdly, the Bible tells us about redemption, about how Jesus has come to redeem all things. And it tells us how the world can be, and it shows us what God is doing. And finally, uh, the Bible tells us about glory or consummation, and it shows us what the world will be. And so this morning, we're just going to focus on those first three creation, fall, and redemption and how that affects our role here in Colorado Springs. So, of course, let's begin with creation, uh, how things ought to be. Creation, how things ought to be. Now, we looked at this in uh, some detail, a little bit of detail last week, so this is going to be short. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find that God created the world, and it is all very good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we discover who we are as human beings and what we are meant to do, who we are And why we are here. And what we found is that we are people who have been made in the image of God. That means that every person, every human being, reflects the dignity and glory of our creator. And as those who, who bear God's image, we are to represent God's reign on the earth. We are to, God is ruler over all creation, and yet he has mediated his reign through us, given us his reign over creation. He said to humanity, he said, you're to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, uh, subdue it, and have dominion over it. And so we're called to have dominion over the earth. And so we, as God's image bearers, rule in his place. We are his royal ambassadors to the world. We are kings. We are queens. We are rulers over creation. And not only are we rulers over creation, when God placed Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.15, he tells Adam that he is to work it and to keep it. And we saw that those words could be translated work, could be translated serve. It's we work to serve. And to keep means to, to guard or to protect. And so, so we realized that from this, uh, we are to, to do the work of, of priest. Uh, Work and serve are also words used about the priesthood in uh, in the Old Testament, and so we have this priestly role to bring God's reign to all the earth, to make all the earth a temple to the Lord. The, The Garden was a temple; we're to expand that temple to fill all the earth, so that the glory of God fills the earth. We are kings, and we are priests. And we do that through our work. And so it changes our our view of work. We work in, and by the way, work is not just those jobs for which you get paid, it's all activity of industry and enterprise. Uh, We work as both an act of worship to God and service to others. We subdue the earth by taking the material of the created world and we make it usable. And so, uh, we do this when we design roads for people to drive on. We, we do this when we build houses for people to live in. Or when you engage in banking to make exchange of goods and services easier. Or you arrange notes of music for people to enjoy. You put paint on a canvas for people to delight in. All of that is subduing the earth. And all of it is ministry when we do it for the glory of God and his service to others. So, so all work is holy. It doesn't matter if you're teaching school, writing a sermon, uh, sweeping the floor, or saying, do you want fries with that? If you're doing it to the glory of God and in service to others, it is holy work. It is priestly work. That's creation. Well, unfortunately, even though God created the world and declared that it was very good, the world did not stay that way. And so that leads us to the fall the fall, which shows us how things are. Now, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebel against God's reign, and as they rebel against God's reign, their, their rebellion uh, means they're no longer properly reflecting the image of God because as the image of God, they're, to again, to mediate God's reign, to be God's rulers in God's place. In rebellion against God's reign, they cannot do that. And so the rebellion against God brought sin, death, and destruction. And the very blessing that God gave to humanity, is still a blessing, but now it has been tainted by the curse. And so be fruitful and multiply. God says to Eve, now you're going to have pain when you bear children. And, and your, your, your desire is going to be for your husband. So this command to be fruitful and multiply, this blessing of children and family, is now full of pain and hurt, and sometimes even divorce and abuse and, and rebellious children and sin and death. And then God says, to, We're to have dominion over the earth. But now He says, Your work is going to be toilsome. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And thorns are going to infest the ground. Your work is not always going to produce what it's supposed to produce. And not only that, but sin then corrupts man's own nature. We see that human beings all still bear the image of God. All still reflect God's glory, but sin now mars that. It's like, it's like taking a priceless painting and, 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 and vandalizing it. The, the image of God is now distorted by our own sin, and we see this in Genesis chapter 4, the passage we read moments ago. Now, in the first half of Genesis 4, we have uh, the account of, uh, of Cain and Abel. Remember, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. They're exiled from the garden, and they have two children, two sons, the, uh, the, the, the evil Cain and the righteous Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel. And so all that is left now in this narrative at this point is uh, the unrighteous Cain. And yet despite all the terrible things Cain has done, you notice in that account of Cain's descendants, they do many wonderful things. Cain continues the cultural mandate. What does he do? He, he builds a city. He builds a city. Uh, now, uh, building a city is, is part of God's command to subdue the earth. Cities are, are places where people can gather together, where they can um, share ideas, where they can work, where they can create good and beautiful things. Now, now some of you may say, ugh, oh, cities. I would rather live in the prairie, in a house, all alone, or in a mountain town where nobody can bother me. And, uh, well, the fact is, you're here, and you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason because you can't live alone in the prairie by yourself. You say, yes I can, Amazon. Well, Amazon comes from the city. You can't live without the city. Uh, you, you can't live without the things. You need groceries, you need car repair, if you wanna to go to a movie, uh, you know any of those things. And so uh, it happen in cities, and cities uh, enable human civilization to flourish because people are able to work together. And Cain uh, develops a city. He, he's, he's fulfilling the cultural mandate, even as an unrighteous person. Of course, we go on in the book of Genesis, and we go from Genesis 4, mankind's uh, downward descent. We get to Genesis 11, and we find them constructing another city, uh, the Tower of Babel, Babel. And there in the Tower of Babel, we see that cities allow human beings to work together, not for good, but to accomplish great evil. Because when people work together, Uh, They can accomplish great things, and they can also accomplish great evil things because that is the nature of the human heart. But also notice the line of Cain. Uh, In the line of Cain, he has uh, a a descendant named Lamech. And then Lamech has three sons, uh, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. By the way, I always love when reading through the Old Testament thinking, great names for your children, Uh, you know, and... uh, here are three sons, uh, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal, Cain, and they pioneer some tremendous advances in, uh, in human uh, civilization. They, they develop the arts and science and technology. Uh, you know, uh, Jabal develops animal farming. Uh, he, he's able to cultivate this. He's the father of that, it says. In other words, we, we learned all this from him. Jubal is the father of musical expression and the arts. I mean, what a contribution to society, uh, comes from him. And Tubal Cain uh, makes great advances in metalwork. He's, he's He's the first engineer. Uh, he, he begins to show how we can, can use the resources of the earth to, to do great things. And so, so we see, even from this ungodly line of Cain, from Cain who does evil, we see these beautiful things happening that cause culture to flourish and culture uh, to be a, a place of great civilization and delight we have all been blessed by Cain. Isn't that amazing? And, and, but even the, along with the good that they do, we also see the devastating effects. In verse 9, we see that Cain has a descendant named Lamech. Now, now remember, Cain killed his brother Abel and tried to cover it up. He, he, he was ashamed of what he did. He felt guilty about what he did. He was uh, fearful to go before God. Lamech, notice how evil Lamech is. First, He distorts God's good command of marriage. He takes on two wives. He introduces polygamy. Polygamy uh, was never God's design. God's design has always been one man, one woman, for as long as they both shall live. That's God's design. And, And here we see that Lamech violates this design by taking on two wives. You might say, well, the Bible has polygamy all through the Old Testament. The Bible never, ever condones polygamy, ever. It puts rules up so women cannot be further abused, but in every uh, story, either it says nothing about the, the consequences of polygamy or it portrays it negatively. Look through the biblical account, polygamy is always pertain negatively, never once is it shown as being something positive. It always leads to abuse, particularly abuse of women. And, uh, and so Lamech uh, introduces polygamy. Then in verses 23 and 24, he brags about killing someone, a young man. In fact, the word is, could be even a, a boy. The boy injures him he, 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 he hurts him in some way. And so what does Cain do, I mean, Lamech do? He, he retaliates with excessive violence. He, he murders him, and when he gets home, he starts to sing a song about it. Gather round, my ladies. Let me tell you about what I've done. A man has bruised me, and so I murdered him. And then uh, where God had put on a mark of Cain, a mark of, of exile, he says that Cain was to be venged seven times then I'm going to be avenged 77 times if anybody comes after me. What he's saying is exhaustively. He says, if you come after me for revenge, I'm bringing fire down from the sky. I will rain upon you. He is bragging about this. His his guilt of murder is no longer a mark of shame. It is now a a mark of honor. He's, He's proud of his violence. And so in the line of Cain, We have this picture of fallen humanity. Because people are made in the image of God, they're able to do many great and wonderful and beautiful things which we can celebrate. Yet at the same time, because people are corrupted by sin, they're capable of doing great evil as well. Now, we want to divide the world into good people and bad people. And what we see is that all people are good in the sense they're made in the image of God. And yet all people are sinful because we have the corruption of sin dwelling in us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts to the human heart, uh, heart of every human being. So what do we make of all this? You know, How, how do we... What are we supposed to make of what it means to live in a fallen world? Well, first of all, we see that God's cultural mandate is still in effect. God has not revoked the command where human beings are to subdue the earth. And so, so we honor God, and we honor his command, and we bless our neighbor when we do our work uh, of advancing culture and technology. And, and so it's still a priestly work. It's still a holy work when it is done for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Secondly, we can see and appreciate the work of God's common grace. By common grace, what we're saying is that God, in his kindness to us, does not just give good gifts to those children who are his, to to those who follow him, he gives good gifts to all of humanity. And we can enjoy those good gifts, and we can celebrate those good gifts. Uh, Because people are made in the image of God, they're they're still able to do many wonderful, good, and beautiful things. And we can praise God for that. You know, there's there's some Christians who who don't appreciate this aspect of common grace. And so what happens is they they want to keep their distance from non-Christians. They only read Christian books, go to Christian movies, listen to Christian music. And, and, and they have this sort of this separatist mindset. They, they can't appreciate the works of Cain, as the Bible seems to celebrate the works of Cain. And so, so they, they quarantine themselves off. Uh, in fact, I even met a person who wanted to design a line of Christian clothing. I don't know. Uh, just little fishies on there, I guess. I'm not sure uh, exactly what, what, what happened with that. But by pointing out the cultural achievements of Cain and Lamech and the descendants, God points out this beauty. Uh, that we can celebrate uh, from all human beings who bear his image. So, you know, you can go to the Monet exhibit. Have you been up there? You know, it's it's, it's remarkable to look at the the work of uh, Claude Monet, and we can celebrate the works of of his paintbrush, even though he was not a particularly religious man. Uh, In fact, uh, quite uh, likely he was agnostic and maybe even had a little bit of pantheism in him. Or you can turn to our hymnal, and you can find uh, uh, music that is written by Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky, uh, whose sexual behavior is uh, rather well-known, which we won't go into at this point. Or Beethoven, who's, uh, who was uh, uh, certainly uh, not a Christian. He may have believed in some sort of higher power, but he did not believe in the Christian gospel. And yet, we can enjoy the music of Tchaikovsky and Beethoven as well as John, Paul, George, and Ringo and uh, and others and celebrate the good gifts that God has given to them. We can, uh, we can celebrate the work of Walt Disney, uh, who again, hostile to Christianity and yet created many beautiful things for us to enjoy or the technological advances of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk uh, who have done things that, that enrich our lives. And so a- as Christians, we can look and see Uh, that human beings, because they're made in the image of God, are able to do many good, true, and beautiful things, and we ought to be the first to celebrate that. And so that applies to our city. We celebrate the good and the true and the beautiful that we see in our city, whether it's produced by Christians or non-Christians. We join together uh, for the flourishing and the good of our city with non-Christians because they, too, bear that image of God in them. Now, at the same time, though, while mankind can do great good, Sin taints everything. And here's the terrifying thought. The more humanity advances in technology and culture, not only the more good we can do, but also the greater evil we're capable of doing. I mean, the same nuclear technology that uh, is able to give light to, uh, to our homes also can wipe out millions of people with a single bomb. The same music that is used to praise God can be used to denigrate women and celebrate immorality. The same internet, which allows you to look up YouTube videos so you can figure out how to do that do-it-yourself project at home, can also be used to, uh, to stream explicit videos that exploit women who have been caught up in human trafficking. As good as our culture and technological advances are, we ultimately see this. Human beings are able to do amazing cultural, and technological advances. But the problem is, without the reign of God, they actually become monstrous. They actually become destructive. Uh, they, 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 they cause great harm. And as long as we are living in rebellion against God, humankind can accomplish many wonderful things. But these advances in science and technology do not address the core human problem. They cannot lead to human flourishing. Uh, progress as we talk about human progress, will not lead to a better world. It cannot solve the problem. Uh, In some cases, progress actually makes life worse because it doesn't address the world, it doesn't address the hope, and it cannot solve our city's problem. So, so what does that mean? Well, we still engage in those things which lead to human flourishing. We still get in- involved in our community. We, we serve at the library. We, we, t- we coach in Little League. We, we get involved in our schools with the PTA and the uh, other teachers' councils. We, we clean up our parks. We, we work together to bring about that which is good and true and beautiful. But we don't confuse that with thinking, that is ultimately going to make our city what it needs. It will make our city better, but it won't solve the ultimate problem. That hope can only be found in our third point, which is redemption. Redemption, what God is doing. Now, in uh, verses 17 through 24, we read about the line of Cain and how they are able to do many good and true and beautiful things. But at the same time, we see this downward descent from, uh, descent from, from um, Eve uh, and Adam disobeying God, Cain committing murder of his brother, to Lamech polygamy and bragging about murder. And by the way, that trend is going to continue through Genesis chapter 5, through Genesis chapter 11, where humanity goes from bad to worse. But in verses 25 and 26... We find that Adam and Eve uh, have another son named Seth. And he is, uh, by Eve's words, a, a replacement of sort for the righteous Abel. And Seth has a son named Enosh. And with him, people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And so here we see the unrighteousness of Cain, but then we see Enosh coming along and we see this glimmer of hope that people are calling on the name of the Lord. And so through Seth, we'll come to Enosh, and then the next chapter, you can get the line of his descendants, and then we finally get to chapter 11, where we see through Seth to Enosh on down to a man named Terah to a man named Abram. And so turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. In five through 11, humanity's getting worse, except there's this glimmer of hope with Seth and Enosh, And in Genesis 12, we get a a ray of hope with Abraham. Uh, By the way, Abram at this time, his name's later going to be changed to Abraham, but Abram, as we know from elsewhere in the Bible, is an idol worshiper who's living in southern Iraq, Ur of Chaldees. And here's what God says to this moon worshiper. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now now remember the original creation mandate. The scope the original creation mandate that God gave, the, the cultural mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve was this: to, to fill the earth. And subdue it so the scope of the creation mandate was universal and here again uh, we see with Adam uh, and Eve you know the scope is universal but now God is taking one man out of all the people on the earth and he's promising to bless his family so has God forgotten his universal mission is God giving up on the cultural mandate no God is redeeming it because notice why he saves Abraham look again at verse 2 if God says to Abram, "I says, "I'm going to make you a great nation, but for what purpose, but for what purpose?" He says, "So that you will be a blessing." God says, "I am saving you not instead of the rest of the world, but for the sake of the rest of the world." Uh, then in verse three, God says, "I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse." But again what purpose? God says, Abraham, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. You're going to be okay because I will be your God and you'll be my people. But again, for what purpose? So that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is saving Abraham, not because he's giving up on the rest of the world. He's not abandoning his original mission. He's redeeming it because it's through Abraham that God is going to redeem human race so so that he can bring salvation to the world. When God says that Abraham and his descendants will be a blessing, that's not just a prophecy. He's not just saying what will happen. It's a mission. He's commissioning him. He's giving him a mission to be a blessing to the world. How will Abraham and his descendants be a blessing to the world? Well, it's only through Abram's God. Abram and his descendants, the people of Israel, were to be a light to the nations. And by living under God's reign and under God's rule and according to God's law, they were supposed to be a testimony to the rest of the world of what life would be like if people would return to the kingship of God. But of course, we know it happened. God called Abraham, and he called the Israelites, and he constituted them as a nation there at Mount Sinai. He, there are 12 tribes. He gives them the Ten Commandments, and he tells them to be a witness to the nation around them. Do you know what Israel says when God first gives them the Ten Commandments and all the law? They said, this we will do. We obey the law completely. How did that work out? Not well, because they couldn't. And so did God give up on his mission? Not at all. It is still through Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's promise did not fail. Turn to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. How does the New Testament open? This is not a coincidence, by the way. Uh, How does the New Testament open? Here's how it opens. It opens with these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, The son of Abraham. Do you see what God is doing? He said, "I made a promise that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and that promise is coming true through Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus. uh, It's because it's only through Jesus that sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God. And unless we are reconciled to a holy God, we have no hope for peace in the world. We have no hope for a better world." The world's fundamental problem is not one of art or science or technology, it's spiritual. Even if at one day we as a human race can harness all the power of the sun so that we don't need any fossil fuels... Even if we could clean up the ocean so there's no more plastic anywhere, they're killing the fish. Even if we were able to to create an economic system so that people would work hard and that there would be no poor anywhere on the earth, even if we were able to cure cancer and all diseases, we would not fix the world. We would not fix the world. The world would still have a problem because the problem is the human heart. And that's true of the world, it's also true of Colorado Springs. And that means the main way we can love our city, yes, we engage in serving, we engage in labor, we engage in work, we do our work to the glory of God, but the only hope of our city is the hope of Abraham, is the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's why Village 7 is here. And if you're a Christian, it's why you're here. Like Abraham, you've been blessed but you've been blessed to be a blessing. You are not blessed just for your sake. Whenever God blesses someone, it is always for the purpose of being a blessing to others. And when God calls us to himself, he doesn't choose us instead of the world. He chooses us for the sake of the world. God is about his mission, and he calls us as his people to be a part of this mission as well. We are not only to live in Colorado Springs, we are to live for Colorado Springs. And while our works and service are important, ultimately, ultimately, being a good neighbor means sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with those with whom we live and with whom we work and with whom we play. Now in the weeks ahead... We're going to challenge one another to think about this, about the various places where God has placed you, where you live, work, and play, or or places where you might engage. And here's the question that we want you to begin to ask. Where can God use me to bring an impact, to live out the cultural mandate and the Great Commission? Because the two go together. Where can I be here to be a blessing? I'm here. God has a purpose for me. He has a purpose for our church. And the question is, are we being faithful to our mission? Are you simply residing in Colorado Springs? Or are you for Colorado Springs? Are we living out our mission as the people of God? Our city needs us. It doesn't need us. It needs Jesus. And we know Jesus. And we can tell them about him. And so will you join in that mission? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the good things that we see in our world, things that people are doing, and we we get to enjoy. We get to celebrate. But, Lord, we recognize that all of human advancement, all of human technology, it will not solve the greatest problem. Lord, our world needs you. We need you. Our city needs you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart to be about the mission you have given us to do, that we would recognize you have saved us not merely for ourselves, but for the sake of the world and for the sake of our city. We pray that we would have the heart of Jesus as he looked out over Jerusalem and seeing them and their brokenness and their lostness, he he wept for them because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. Oh, Lord, may our heart... Uh, and our, our eyes weep for our own city, for our own neighbor. And Lord, may we do more than weep. May we engage. May we be faithful to be a blessing to those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.